You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Hey, I have a little confession to make before we get to your calls. Sometimes when the tech-savvy at-risk youth have to, you know, dick off to Burning Man or wherever it is they go for weeks at a time, they come home with their dreads freshly ratted and their armpits freshly rank. Or I have to go away on vacation somewhere wholesome with my family. Uh, We record a few shows in advance. We just bank them so that we can have them blast out every Tuesday and you can get your Savage Lovecast needs met uh, and we can work a vacation in. So uh, the last couple of weeks, we had some shows in the bank, which is why you didn't hear anything from me about David Carradine's big, stupid, autoerotic asphyxiation, annihilation. Because, you know, we banked a few shows. So, you know, I'm going to list calls now. They're like, why are you talking about David Carradine? Well, we didn't talk about him because uh, we weren't psychic and the shows were recorded in advance. So we couldn't see into David Carradine's future, chur, chur. But here are my thoughts for everyone who's calling in. A, uh, Autoerotic asphyxiation, that's a really stupid, dangerous thing to do, obviously, as evidenced by uh, David Carradine's demise. Slate.com had a good piece on whether or not there's a safe way to engage in autoerotic asphyxiation, and there is not. Um, There are some ways to make this dangerous thing a little less dangerous without it being not dangerous. Don't do it alone in a hotel room uh, where there isn't going to be someone there who can push you off that rope if you start to really go. And and people asking why people do it, people are fucking nuts. That's why people do it. Some people find or have discovered or experiment with oxygen deprivation at the time of orgasm and find that sort of race between blacking out and coming, the the sensation would be very similar. And I'm not recommending this and I don't want to talk – I almost don't want to talk about it for fear that someone's going to go, oh, if it's really that intense, people are willing to risk death for it. Maybe I should try it. Maybe it's – don't go there, don't do it. Uh, There are some people in BDSM land who engage in a form of uh, asphyxiatory play. I'm not sure asphyxiatory is a word, but I'm just going to use it anyway. Uh, And it's called breath control or breath play. Uh, That's often done with gas masks where there's not pressure on the carotid arteries or the blood vessels and nerves carrying, you know, blood and shit up to your brain. You kind of need it. Uh, Where you can, you know, cut somebody's oxygen off simply wearing a gas mask or they can breathe into a bag or whatever. All of it's dangerous. Breath play is inherently uh, a kind of BDSM Russian roulette. And I don't think people should engage in it. It's just too risky. But people have a right to take risks. You know, we're all talking now about what David Carradine could have done or uh, the different ways he could have pursued this sexual interest uh, and lived in the same way we're talking about ski helmets after Natasha Richardson bashed her brains out. You know, we have a right to take risks, to assume risks, uh, to assess them and to decide what we're comfortable with risk-wise. And then we have to shoulder the consequences. You know, Natasha Richardson opted not to wear a ski helmet and the consequences were severe. David Carradine opted to pursue this dangerous uh, sexual interest of his alone and the consequences were equally severe. The thing, though, in the whole David Carradine talk that's kind of making me nuts is now we're hearing about all his interests in BDSM and bondage and the sex toys he bought and the videos he watched. We're hearing from his parade of ex-wives. Apparently, there's 14 or 15 of them. 
about how uh, disgusted they were by his sexual interests and all the nice ladies on CNN and Fox are wrinkling up their $5,000 noses about not the ill-advised nature of autoerotic asphyxiation and, and that kind of play and doing it alone and wrapping anything around your neck like that. But, oh, God, ew, bondage, ew, kink, ew, kink. So it's turned into this sort of free-floating miasma disgust about any kink. BDSM is a really common sexual pursuit. The best stats are 25, 50% of everybody's done it uh, and more people than that fantasize about it. So let's be careful that we don't look at this one manifestation of David Carradine's interest in uh, power play and S&M and pain and risk and then use that to indict any uh, interest in power play, SM, bondage, whatever, because it just doesn't follow that everybody who's interested in uh, BDSM is as big a risk taker or nut job as David Carradine was. And it's really kind of getting on my nerves. And uh, that's why I posted an open letter to CNN on the blog a couple of weeks ago. So if you're reading me every day at slog.thestranger.com, you actually saw me talking about David Carradine. Uh, you just didn't hear me talking about it on the podcast. We apologize for that. And now we will get to your questions. This podcast is brought to you by audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage today for details. Hi, Dan, a uh, long-time listener, and I guess I've got, uh, well, not a terribly exotic problem. I've been with the same girl for about five years. Recently, an ex-boyfriend of hers looked her up on Facebook, and they've been keeping in pretty regular contact. Now, mind you, at first she was concerned. She let me know, hey, I've gotten in touch with this guy again, and, you know, it's really nice. But now it's hitting the point where she's getting 15, 20, 25 text messages a day at all hours of the day. They're obvious, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this gentleman lives um, quite a ways away. And although he's in town recently and he looked her up, I'm not genuinely concerned in any way, shape, or form for, you know, the status of my relationship. But honestly, with every single text message, with every single whatever, with every single little smile, with every single etc., I get a little less rational about the whole thing. Now, I don't consider myself a terribly jealous person, but when these things go on, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm watching two teenagers again, which is really when they dated. Is there any way for me to approach this without just seeming like a lunatic? You have an absolute right to go to her and say this is completely out of hand, out of control, and is annoying the fuck out of me. You don't text back and forth 20, 25 times a day with someone that, honest to God, you aren't interested in fucking, about to fuck, or have recently fucked. That's the only social sexual phenomenon that explains that kind of obsessive compulsive texting disorder. Um, you, you know, if she got in touch with an ex and they had a couple of email exchanges and it was very casual, uh, and you blew your stack or had that tone in your voice that you had when you say, I'm not genuinely concerned, I would say you had a problem that people have a right to their pasts. People have a right to still have some affection for people that they had affection for in the past if the relationship didn't end in some horrible flame out. Uh, but you have a right to be annoyed that this degree of contact and flirting is going on when you are supposed to be her primary focus emotionally, sexually, interpersonally. Uh, and you need to tell her to knock it the fuck off or you're going to dump her ass. Just tell her that and that will either 
that will take care of it. Take care of it here defined as she'll knock it off or she'll knock you off. Hi, Dan. I am a 29-year-old straight female. I'm calling because I'm having a reoccurring um, problem with my boyfriend. It's a fight that we keep having because his ex-girlfriend, it's actually, I should start by saying I'm re-dating him. He was my boyfriend in college and we got back together about a year ago. And in college, I mean, we were really young. It was probably like seven years ago. Uh, he left me for this girl. Um, as far as I know, I knew when we got back together, they had been broken up for three years, yada, yada, yada. And eventually, um, I realized, and I, I believe it came out in a fight, but they were still in touch and they were talking. And I'm not a super jealous person at all, but this person obviously is sensitive to me because he had left me for her once before. And... I guess I did something that, you know, I've never done until I did it, but um, I looked in his cell phone and found a ton of text messages from her telling her that she still loved him and she still wanted to be with him, which I just think is a strange thing for someone to still be doing three years after a breakup. Um, So now it's become a repeated problem. It's like we'll be out on a Saturday night, his phone will start going off, and the text messages range from, you know, song lyrics about still being in love with him to, like, really explicit, like, you know, I want you to bang me the way that you do so well, like, all this stuff. Um, She lives really far away. I don't think he's physically cheating on me, and I don't think that he has feelings for this girl. He never responds to the text messages Or, you know, when I've looked at his phone and he has responded, it's been to just be like, listen, I'm not having this talk with you again. It's over, yada, yada. But we fight about it constantly because I think he should tell her that, you know, I have a girlfriend, this is inappropriate, we can be friends, but you can't do this anymore. And for some reason, he won't do that with her, which leads me to believe that I am being a fucking fool and the joke's on me, and these two have something going on. Maybe not your traditional cheating, but, like, their phone's I don't know. If you've done the full snoop, and it sounds like you did, and you did it before he knew you were out there snooping, and all you found was, all you found were messages from him saying, this isn't appropriate, I wish you wouldn't, blah, blah, blah. I really feel like you're being a, a little irrational about what's going on here, and uh, you may be ultimately depriving yourself of his company by being a bit of a psycho about this. Not that you're entirely in the wrong. You are not. Um, your boyfriend uh, doesn't seem to get that this contact that he's having with his ex is making you miserable and his ex miserable. It's kind of this passive-aggressive sadism on his part. He's really tormenting you both. He's staying in touch with her, giving her some of his time and attention, which is fueling this obsession that she has with him. Because so long as he engages with her, even to say, please don't, oh, yeah, I got your message, please, you know, I'm with somebody, whatever he's saying, it's encouraging her to keep it up. She thinks she's got his ear. Uh, and it's making you miserable because – listen to you. You're miserable. So he needs to pick one. He needs to cut her off or be with you, one or the other. He can have this little text exchange forever with a woman he says he's not interested in it, or he can have you, the woman he says that he is. Uh, it's not crazy. It's not, a, it's not an irrational demand on your part to tell him to get perhaps a new phone number or to block her calls because it's in her best interest. If he's allowing her to do this because he cares about her and doesn't want to hurt her feelings – 
it's having the opposite impact. She's wherever she is, she's not getting on with her life because she thinks she's got a hook into him. Uh, and again, it's driving you nuts. So you need to put your foot down and tell him that this has got to stop. No more contact with her, period, anymore, whatsoever at all, uh, because it's just uh, making you nuts and ruining your relationship, and it's going to cost him both. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. A little recommendation, about to go on a road trip, go to Audible, download David Sedaris, the car and the miles will fly by. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook download today. Hi, I am calling on behalf of a friend. She has um, three children under the age of 18 living with her, and her and her husband have not been um, having sex. In fact, she told me that they haven't had sex for um, about a year. And um, she's, she's probably one of my closest friends, and, um, you know, she, she said that he is having trouble uh, getting it up and that even if he could, she's no longer sexually attracted to him, that he has kind of just become the father of her children and a source of income. Um, she's pretty much trapped in the way that she's got, you know, her three kids, one of which has um, special needs. And uh, actively planning right now um, to have an affair. I, I see right now that she's stuck, and I see right now that she is unable to get her sexual needs met, um, even if her husband were able physically to have sex with her, um, because she just isn't attracted to him anymore. And, and at first I kind of admonished her for this because I know the children, and I kind of felt like it would be bad for her to do that, and then I realized I was being judgmental, and... Um, my question is, do you think there would be a way um, that I could maybe suggest for her to be able to meet some of those sexual needs with someone else? Um, is that, I mean, what kind of advice as, as a friend um, could I give? I understand your impulse to admonish her and say, no, but the children. What people who are not trapped in a sexless, if not loveless, because maybe there's love there, Marriage, sometimes I don't understand, is the cheating that everyone regards as a threat to the marriage and a threat to the family and, and a threat to the kids and the stability uh, that they have come to expect from their parents being together. That, that, that cheating often makes it possible for someone to stay in a sexless, if not loveless, marriage. That getting their needs met elsewhere and outside is not the first step away uh, or the first step out uh, of the marriage, but something that you know, a lifeline that will allow them to stay in the marriage because they're getting that need met and then they're not hearing in the back of their head 24 hours a day this voice going, so long as I'm in this marriage, I'm never going to be sexually satisfied again ever, which is really a voice that is screaming, get, you know, your body, your, your junk is screaming, get me the fuck out of this marriage so I can get some goddamn sex. There are lots of cases where people find someone else who's in a very similar circumstance and become fuck buddies and get a little on the side and find a little bit of that sexual comfort that they're not getting at home and not getting from their partners. I could cite you cases where, you know, dude with wife who has a chronic illness that's going to keep her, you know, bedridden and miserable for 20 years uh, but alive and not interested or able to be sexually active, he cheats. 
Is that a, a horrifying violation of, of their vows if the cheating is part of what allow, keeps him sane enough to stay there and stay by her side for what she really needs him for at that point in her life, which is caregiver and, and lover, not fucker and lover, right? Is he a bad dude for getting his needs met on the side with a woman who has a sexless marriage herself? I don't think so. I think that they're both doing right by their primary partners, by their marriages, by their families if they go about it in that way. So if you want advice about what to tell your friend, she should look out for a, a man who is frustrated with his marriage for the same reasons she's frustrated with hers and see if they can't together make a contingency plan that allows them to be there for each other sexually and emotionally a little bit but then stay in their respective marriages for the greater good of all involved if that's what they want, if there is still a love and a bond in their marriages that is worth preserving uh, and the sex helps them with each other, you know, the adulterous sex that they're having with each other helps them to stay in those marriages. I say it's all to the good. Hi, Dan. I'm a 37-year-old heterosexual female. I've been married for 11 years. And for the last five to seven years of my marriage, um, our sex life has become pretty monotonous. Um, my husband has um, premature ejaculation issues, and I think they revolve around his confidence level. He's always been the type of lover that's um, gentle, um, easygoing, and from the beginning, he was aware that I wanted uh, a little bit more variety and some more passion and excitement in it. And um, basically, we've tried to um, pull that out of him over the years through books, through um, counseling, through talking um, and sharing, and he's just uncomfortable with it, is the bottom line. So in the end, um, I have in these last five years, just acquiesce to what he wants. And that has gone over into our relationship as well. It's sort of spilled over. And I'd say our, we are more or less put in a platonic relationship at this point. Um, we do have sex, but it's very irregular, and it's not satisfying for either of us. We are still, you know, love one another, but if this never changes and seems like it isn't, where does that leave me? Um, and then what's most recently happened is I have become um, involved with a friend of ours. Of course, the sex with this new person is terrific, um, but I'm wanting to possibly um, leave my husband for this other person. However, there's a lot of anguish that revolved around that because this person, this other person has a reputation as a playboy and not, quote unquote, the marriable type. So quite a complicated issue and I just love any advice you could give. If you want to leave your husband, leave your husband. Setting aside the issue of this playboy dude, it doesn't sound like you're that into your husband. It doesn't sound like there's a lot, of, a lot there. You don't mention that you have kids. You don't point to a great rapport, that you're best friends or anything. It sounds like you kind of see him as a wimp and a douchebag and you might be happier without him. I wouldn't encourage you to leave him for this other guy. I'm going to go out on a limb here and read this other guy's mind and tell you that part of what he's into with you is that you're married and he can't have you in theory at least. That uh, fucking you is safe and isn't going to – 
risk upending his playboy lifestyle because you're attached so he can bang the shit out of you without in theory you having any expectations uh really or or are, without you making any demands on him about commitment or anything because you have a commitment with the husband you're cuckolding with him now what to do go you're not happy go but you know what before you go you might just want to throw a bomb at your husband's feet and tell him you've been fucking this other guy because you're bored and you're annoyed and you've acquiesced to all of his sort of dumbing down or dulling down the sex life demands that he's made and you've sort of violated yourself kind of all these years and you haven't really been getting what you need or want out of the relationship and you cheated and you feel bad if you do. If you don't, say you do just to be polite. It's a polite thing to say and see how he reacts. You know, that might, you know, that might destroy your relationship. It could also reinvigorate it for who knows. Maybe your husband is beating off to cuckolding porn three times a week or three times a day and doesn't have the courage to tell you. Maybe he would be satisfied for you to have license to do whatever you want even if he doesn't. Maybe he wants an open relationship or maybe he too wants out and this will give him an excuse uh, to leave you. Hey, Dan. I'm calling from Pittsburgh and I'm getting married in a couple months. We're in our mid-twenties, and we're both virgins for religious reasons. My fiancé even stopped masturbating until very recently when he read a book recommending the men who haven't had sex should learn through masturbation to extend ejaculation. He told me through his experiments so far, it has taken between 15 and 30 seconds for him to come, and I got to think it'll be even quicker when he's actually in me, if he can even get in me before he comes. Am I right? So what should we do? Should he just beat off incessantly until the big day? What, should he wear six condoms when we finally get to do it? Or should I just be patient? I'm trying to pull the appropriate metaphor out of my ass here, and I'm not – I'm struggling. If I had to commit to doing something with someone else, just one someone else, for the rest of my fucking life, for instance, there are going to be a – what is that called? The person who throws daggers at you? You know, the magicians, they throw, they strap somebody to a wheel and they throw knives and the knives land all around them. If I, you know, was going to sign up for that circus and that person was going to throw knives at me for the rest of my life, I would want to know that they could actually fucking do that before I signed up for the rest of my fucking life. It doesn't quite work because that doesn't sound like, you know, that's not pleasure and it's potentially fatal. But you are signing up to fuck this one dude, because you're really, this is not my usual area of expertise, I have to say, this absence until marriage bullshit, but I'm going to try. You are signing up to fuck just this one person for the rest of your fucking life, and he is signing up for that too. I think before you sign on the dotted line, before you marry, that you would want to establish that this is someone that you could fuck and fuck happily and contentedly for the rest of your life to the exclusion of all others. Sounds like he might not be it, particularly with this 15-second come problem that he's already confessed to you. I would encourage you to start masturbating him just to see what impact it has. You know, sometimes people can get themselves off more quickly than other people can get them off because they know exactly, you know, because they're feeling it because there's a perfect feedback loop between the hand, the nervous system, the brain, and the cock, right? Maybe if it's your hand or your mouth or your ass, uh, if you want to saddle back your way to your wedding night – he won't blow the load as quickly, but it feels like something that you should help him with. If this is some, if this person that you're marrying without ever having fucked, which is so stupid, 
Never even thought to masturbate until very recently. This sexually stunted, religiously persecuted little weirdo that you're going to tie yourself to with chains and throw yourself in the religious institution of marriage ocean, the deep end. Maybe he's not doing it right. Maybe he needs a hand. Maybe he doesn't realize because he's that fucking stupid that the point of masturbation is not to get the load out as quickly as possible. It's to enjoy the journey. It's to enjoy the process of getting the, that you want to stretch that out, you know, as long as you reasonably can. Not Tantra eight-hour orgasm bullshit. You know, there's dishes to do and newspapers to read. You don't want a fucking eight-hour orgasm unless you can read and do the dishes while you're having that eight-hour tantric orgasm. But he might be doing it wrong or might have the wrong assumptions. You need to – you know what? You need to talk to him or you need to call back and give me his phone number so I can give him a buzz uh, and ask him what the fuck is up. But again, you know, the wedding night, you're putting all your chips. You're gambling. Listen to the calls that came before you on this program. You are really gambling with your future happiness if you are not sexually compatible, if he cannot – satisfy you if you guys can't ultimately find a groove that works and not all two people can no with all the work and fucking god bullshit guilt trips in the world can't make two people who just are not fundamentally sexually compatible click it's not the way it works sometimes love ain't enough and god ain't enough because he doesn't exist but i'm not going to put that on your head sometimes you ha- you know, sometimes two people just never click. And you guys may not – please don't marry this guy until you fuck him. That's what I'm trying to say. Just go go to his house, pull out his dick, sit on it. If he comes in two seconds, thank him for his time and his attentions and hand him the ring. Hey, Dan. Listen, I got a question for you. Um, my wife and I have always had a pretty vigorous sex life. And we've always been very vocal, her more than me. But uh, a couple of years ago, we had, uh, we had a baby. And the sex is less spontaneous these days, a little more scheduled, which is fine. But uh, it's still very loud. And uh, the way that we're doing it, usually she goes to bed, and then we sort of go off into the bedroom and do our thing. And we kind of live under the naive assumption that she's going to have no idea what's going on in our room. It's just noise. At what point should we really start to scale that back? Because I know how traumatic that can be to hear your folks knocking boots. Got any ideas? Some kids sleep through the night. Some kids sleep like rocks. Some kids are light sleepers. You're really just going to have to see uh, what kind of a sleeper your kid is. My partner and I, luckily enough, we have a kid that Armageddon couldn't wake him up at 3 o'clock in the morning. The house could collapse around him at 3 o'clock in the morning and he would not wake up. In the 11 years that he's been with us after the infancy thing, the only time he's woken up in the middle of the night twice uh, to throw up because he was sick, not because of the mysterious creaks and moans and groans uh, that sometimes emanate from his parents' room. Maybe you'll be lucky like we were lucky. Maybe you'll get one of those kids who are out when they're out and then you won't have to worry about it. But clearly your wife needs to learn to modulate. It's a skill. Kids or no kids, it's a skill that she should adopt or acquire or uh, cultivate. What if you're in a motel room? What if your parents come to stay? What if you live in an apartment building where the walls aren't very thick? She's going to have to learn to modulate. So 
Uh, that or a gas mask, a la David Carradine's uh, missed opportunity at breath play. Hi, Dan. My name is Bill, and I was just listening to your podcast, number 137, where a woman called in about her boyfriend coming out as a coming out to her as a sexual. When describing sexuals, you said that as a rule, they do not have any desire for sex or romance. In the asexual community, however, there are two distinct categories of, as- of individuals, asexual romantics and asexual aromantics. The former, asexual romantics, do not want sex, but do want, li- do want relationships just without the sex. What you were referring to is the second category, asexual aromantics, who desire neither sex nor relationships. However, by loving both groups together, you ignore these differences. The caller's boyfriend may have, may have identified as an asexual romantic, meaning that while he did not desire sex, he still wanted to date that woman. Just an FYI about the asexual community. Awesome. That was great. That was awesome. That was great. Except uh, you left out the part about asexual romantics have no business dating people who want romance and sex. If you are an asexual romantic, and thank you for the education, I wasn't aware that the asexual community had already fractured into two distinct and separate warring camps. Good to know. It's not just the LGBT fuckfest warathon, but you guys got one too. Awesome. Awesome. The onus is on the asexual romantic to date other asexual romantics, not to lure people who want a little bone-in with their spoon-in into a relationship and then go, oh, psych! Uh, didn't I mention? Uh, I just, I'm just here for the romance. Put your pants on. That's not fair. That's an asshole move. That's the asexual asshole community. The asexual And the asexual asshole community comprises segments of the asexual romantic community and the asexual aromantic community, or whatever it was that you said. Whereas the asexual non-asshole community is the, those asexuals of either one of these warring tribes who disclose, who say, oh, hey, you asked me out, but I think you should know I'm asexual and aromantic and I don't want to have a relationship and I don't want to see you naked, but thanks. Let's have coffee sometime. Let's be friends. That's a right-on asexual. Or the right-on asexual says, oh, thank you for asking me out. By the by, before we go out on our first date, I'm an asexual romantic. I would be a really wonderful, loving partner, but I am so not going to fuck you ever. Just so you know. And then that person that the asexual romantic just unloaded all of that on can make their minds up about whether or not they wish to date the asexual romantic. And 99.99% of the time, that person is going to run screaming as they would be well advised to. Not because there's anything wrong with asexual romantics, but that's not what most people want out of the romantic lives is the romance and not the boning and not the facials and not the buttfuckery. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that education. Thank you for teaching me something new today. And we're going to leave it there. The number for outraged asexuals who'd like to leave me a message this week, 206-201-2720. You download us every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. The number, once again, please leave a callback number and uh, your name in case we have a follow-up question for you, 206-201-2720. And we'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks very much. (laughs) 